This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. I am going to take a few minutes in this episode and talk about some things about goats that are like kind of misconceptions that I see and would like to clear up for people that may uh, have these misconceptions. There are things like, you know, it's kind of like why I started doing this podcast as I see stuff on the internet or I hear stuff in the world and I'm like yeah no that's not really how that works and um, sometimes sometimes in the moment I may try to have a teaching moment uh, but sometimes I watch someone almost run into someone else on the highway like I just did and uh, sometimes I'm just like I'm gonna leave that uh, misconception alone right now and maybe like try to put some better information out there in the world Um, wow that was a, a person in the left lane passing and then a person in the left lane going very, very fast and coming right up on that person's bum on the highway. It was very, very close. People drive too fast. Maybe I'm just getting old and crotchety. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Sorry for like being bad at podcasting lately. It's like middle of June right now, late June-ish. Um, we're at like peak intensity at the farm where we've got about 50 or 60 goat kids to wean in the next couple of weeks so they're at like peak obnoxiousness for being in the barn and still being on like milk and weaning and being loud and they need to get out of my barn and go out in the field and then I will have less of a headache with them and our like intensity of chores goes down a little bit which is nice um so we've been busy we will do try to do a farm update here soon uh if you have questions or comments or things you'd like to hear me talk about on the podcast please feel free to reach out through the website which is goatdoc.com you can find me on instagram at goat underscore doc uh on the website there's a contact tab which you can link and it sends me an email or you can email me at goatdoccara at gmail.com If you'd like to join a group of really awesome people uh, who think that the information on the podcast is worth throwing a couple dollars a month at to help me, uh, you know, pay for the podcast hosting and the website and these kinds of things, that is awesome. And you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goat doc. And that is also linked through the webpage at goatdoc.com. Uh, my last episode that I did, I like rambled on and got off on a tangent for my podcast housekeeping intro stuff. Uh, so I am going to try to not do that right now and keep it really short and sweet at the beginning of this podcast and get right into it because that always drives me crazy when it gets rambly at the beginning of podcasts. This podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet, and I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary and client patient relationship with your local vet. 
So, a couple things I'm going to talk about here. Some kid things, some adult goat things. This is kind of a random grab, grab bag of stuff that I would like to clarify, clarify for the goat world. Um, kid stuff. Let's talk about parasites. Um, there's a few episodes that I've already done about parasites and parasite management. Uh, there is a series in late 2019 of like four episodes about intestinal worms like intestinal parasites focusing on like nematodes um you know intestinal gi worms not so much protozoans which can be a problem and i think are probably increasingly becoming a problem because i see them show up on fecals more and i'm like ooh, i don't like that organism um but want to talk about goat kids and parasites because I think part of the misconception here is because of like puppies and kittens um, and and routine deworming of puppies and kittens. Puppies and kittens are not goat kids. Um, they are not. They do not have the same GI. They do not have the same placentation. Um, they do not have the same uh, like intestinal parasites. They are like dog and cat parasites will not survive in a goat. Uh, so that's good for the goat because dog and cat roundworms in particular can be transferred to puppies and kittens via maternal milk, which is pretty gross, actually, if you think about it. Um, but that is why we routinely deworm puppies and kittens, whether we see parasites or not on a fecal, uh, because they probably got parasites from their mom. Um, and medications, oral, and also, like, we worry less about it. <laughs> Um, dogs and cats, they have a GI biome, absolutely, but um, they don't have a rumen. Um, they are not dependent on that big fermentation vat of microorganisms turning, you know, essentially undigestible plant fiber into you know, fatty acids for, to power them. Um, they get food, they get nutrition and energy in a different way being monogastrics. So, um, go back and listen to the rumen episodes to refresh about how the rumen all works and it's freaking crazy. Uh, but you know, in any case, I think this is part of where like the misconception about goat kids and intestinal parasites comes from is that, you know, we routinely deworm puppies and kittens because they can get parasites from mom. Goats do not get parasites from mom. Goat kids come out as, as this like little pristine, like, angelic, you know, adorable floppy goat kid that has been in a sterile environment with no bacteria and no parasites coming through milk or across the placenta and they're just like, here we, here I am and now I'm in this world full of bugs. Um, for goat kids to get parasites, they have to pick them up in the environment. Um, I've talked about coccidia in the past. I don't get excited about coccidia if I see them in low numbers and in animals that do not have clinical disease. Uh, so goat kids, like they're going to pick up coccidia because their parent, the adult goats have them. They're in the environment. They're all over the place. But I, I consider them normal flora for goat kids unless they're having... <clears throat> you know, profuse diarrhea, uh, unless they have a fecal that are showing high numbers of coccidia and they're looking crummy, I don't get excited about it. Um, but that's, that's probably like the, the first younger goat intestinal parasite that you kind of have to worry about. Um, 
And then as they get older, they certainly can have problems with intestinal parasites that are worms. Uh, strongyles probably most commonly, uh, tapeworms less commonly, uh, and go listen to those episodes about parasites to hear more in detail about those guys. Um, but again, those guys have to be picked up in the environment and they have a more complex life cycle than coccidia do, for example. Uh, so they have to like be picked up in the environment and they go through these like L2, L3 stages, depending on the parasite. They sometimes like they're ingested and they get coughed up or they're, you know, they're picked up and blah, 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 blah. Like they have all these like molts and whatever. I, I can't, I knew these all much better when I reviewed for that intestinal parasite series that I did a couple of years ago. Um, but the whole life cycle for like a strongyle type parasite to some of them have intermediate hosts and yeah. Um, so the whole, um, like nematode type, strongyle type intestinal parasite in goats, small ruminants. Like it takes longer just physically for that to happen in a goat kid. And it's not going to happen in a young goat kid. And this is why, I mean, go back to episode one and listen to me talk about goat kid diarrhea. I should go back to episode one and listen to me talk about goat kid diarrhea because I don't remember what I said at this point. Um, some of my opinions may have slightly changed, but my opinion wouldn't have changed that if you have a five-day-old goat kid that's having diarrhea, it is uh, nearly impossible that that goat kid needs to be dewormed. People like to give things dewormers. Um, that five-day-old goat kid doesn't need dewormer. If it's raised in a clean environment, uh, it is super, it's got to get parasites from somewhere in the environment. So unless it's picking them up, where's it getting them? There is not spontaneous generation. So that's number one thing about uh, goat kids that I'll talk about. Uh, the next thing about goat kids, and I'll reiterate this, I've said it before and I'll say it again, um, goat kids should be fed grain through the first year of their life. Does, bucks, weathers, they need it. They will not grow adequately without it. Yes, there is a risk for male goats, uh, castrated or not, to develop urolithiasis, but if they are not fed, they will not grow. They will look crappy and runty and stunted, and their coat will be crappy, and they will not develop into the uh, to like their full capacity of whatever level of amaz amazingness their goat self could be. So, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I, I know I did an episode about goat kid nutrition, um, but I still see, I still see goats that look crappy because they're not getting fed enough. Goats cannot subsist on trash. Uh, like Gregory, the terrible eater, you know, he needed to eat some good food and also some trash. They, they, they they will put things in their mouths, they will eat stuff, but they just, they can't get the calories they need, they can't get the minerals they need, they can't get all of the things they need to look amazing and beautiful and reach their full potential as a goat without adequate intake, especially during the first vital year of growth. Um, I also prefer to wean goat kids at 10 to 12 weeks old rather than 8, so they also get more calories from milk for a little bit longer, um, but that's me. 
Um, moving on to Doze. I've got like maybe 10 minutes here. That's all right. I'm going to try to you know, keep this episode kind of short and sweet. Want to clarify uh, some things about like the paraparturient dough and like some pathologies that can happen, like metabolic pathology for early lactation, paraparturient dose um, between milk fever and pregnancy toxemia did an episode about pregnancy toxemia, um, which is like ketosis uh, in doughs. So that is, if you recall, uh, when the dough is in a negative energy balance, generally before, like in late, late pregnancy, before kidding, she has this compounding uh, bunch of factors in like that, that are kind of conspiring against her body so that she can't make enough energy to support herself and her fetuses. Uh, This is more common in does that are carrying large numbers of fetuses because those fetuses are just sucking the energy out of her because they're growing, they're big, they're taking more energy, they're taking up space in her abdomen, her rumen doesn't have as much space to do what it needs to do, and she's just in a place where it's hard to keep up. Some does handle this better than others, have a whole episode about it, but if you remember, that's kind of like a brief brief synopsis of pregnancy toxemia, which is the same as ketosis. Pregnancy toxemia, ketosis is not the same thing as milk fever. Milk fever is hypocalcemia, um, which, and this is, I think, again, this is like words and we use different words in different species and it's very it gets very confusing because then we use different words in humans and then everybody's like what the heck is going on so hypocalcemia tends in goats to be very uncommon in my experience tends to happen after kidding uh maybe early in kidding maybe towards the first three weeks to month of lactation uh as milk production is ramping up. A goat lactation curve tends to have, like, start off at a base of production, go up for the first three weeks, then kind of gradually taper off over the rest of the lactation cycle. The, um, so that we have an increasing demand for calcium output into the milk, and, you know, the dough needs to keep up with that through her intake like oral intake of calcium and like they there's all there's a whole thing about like parathyroid hormone vitamin d and calcium regulation and all of this stuff um there can be different predisposing factors to hypocalcemia um which is milk again milk fever why is it called milk fever i don't know um, <laughs> but uh it looks different in goats and it's frustrating because so hypocalcemia we call it milk fever in goats hypocalcemia in dogs we call eclampsia um which is kind of dumb because eclampsia in humans is high blood pressure like can if we could pick some kind of terminology and keep it the same across species that would probably be helpful um but we don't and it's unlikely to change so sorry about that but uh so eclampsia in dogs is hypocalcemia and hypocalcemia in dogs looks a little bit different where 
where they have uh, muscle fasciculations and tremoring. If the uh, calcium gets low enough, it can progress to seizures and cardiac arrest. Um, but the tremoring of the muscles and the twitching tends to drive the body temperature up, which may be where the milk fever thing came from. Goats, when they have milk fever, hypocalcemia, they tend, they can have twitching. They absolutely can have muscle twitching. Um, that tends to be like a more subtle sign. Um, sometimes when I have does in early lactation and see them kind of twitching a little bit on the stand, I'd be like, just let's just bump them with some calcium, um, some oral CMPK, um, some or- oral calcium gluconate, some subcutaneous calcium gluconate. Um, to to do that because especially oral calcium, the GI is really good at regulating the intake of calcium and um, if it's like I need that, it's going to take it in. If it's like I don't need that, it's just going to like let it pass through the GI. So giving some Tums, giving some oral CMPK. I really like CMPK, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, um, because those are all important electrolytes. And the GI is really good at saying, hey, we need those. Hey, we don't need those, whatever, um, and let the body sort it out. Um, So sometimes if I see goats, early lactation does, having a little twitching on the stand, I will give them, say, let's give them some extra calcium. Uh... But they tend to not have a fever, is, is what my, my point was going to be there. Uh, dogs tend to, like, they can come in and uh, have, what you know, an elevated body temperature because of their muscle fasciculations, their muscle tremoring, um, and we give calcium and it gets better. Uh, goats tend to, like, tends to be uncommon in goats. Uh, the... Uh, can have subtle tremoring, but more commonly, like they're down and flat, they need calcium to get them back. They can have like abnormal mentation. They can be like have uh, slow pupillary light uh, PLRs, pupillary light reflexes, so eyes slow to constrict, um, and they can need intravenous calcium to get them back, uh, which is you know your vet should do that because um, IV calcium can be bad for the heart if it's given too quickly and uh yeah um so pregnancy toxemia milk fever two different things not the same thing not treated the same way um and uh just to try to clear that up a little bit what else do i want to clear up in like the next couple of minutes that i have before i get home I don't know. What questions do you have for me? Uh, what things would you like me to clear up? Send me an email, goat.cara at gmail.com, and uh, let me know. Uh, otherwise, this episode's kind of short and sweet. Uh, hopefully, I have some time to edit these podcasts and get them scheduled for publishing, and hopefully, Devin and I have time to sit down and do Tales from the Farm soon other than that i think that gets a little bit of stuff off my chest for the moment (laughs) i hope it was helpful and i will talk to you guys next time